so today we'll continue with uh, 1st Timothy and take a look at chapter 2. And the focus in chapter 2 is on uh, prayer for leaders and also the conduct of women in the second part. And in chapter 1, we saw that Paul uh, introduced himself uh, as an apostle who has also been commanded by God. And Paul also speaks about the genuine uh, conversion experience uh, that he had and that he has been uh, entrusted uh, with the glorious uh, gospel. And we see that Paul had a burden for the church because the church has drifted uh, away from the sound uh, doctrine. So he is uh, giving the responsibility to Timothy so that he can be in that church. And in a way he can reintroduce uh, the sound uh, doctrine. And we saw that when there is sound doctrine, uh, it leads to love that comes uh, out of a pure heart, out of good conscience, and out of faith. And when we depart uh, from sound doctrine, uh, we saw the warning that we make a shipwreck uh, of our faith and also of our life. So Paul is uh, encouraging Timothy that uh, good doctrine or sound doctrine uh, is worth uh, fighting for. And as believers, uh, we should always defend uh, the sound doctrine uh, we should always defend the true gospel uh, because there are many who are trying to corrupt uh, the gospel and there are many who are trying to take believers away from the sound doctrine. So in the first Timothy letters that Paul is writing, uh, he is uh, equipping Timothy so that uh, he would have the right teaching and he can confront those who are going away uh, from sound teachings. So in chapter two, he focuses on uh, prayers for those who are in authority. And he speaks about the mediator, which is Lord Jesus Christ in verse five. And then he speaks about uh, how men must pray. And he ends uh, in the second part with the conduct of women uh, in a setting where they're in a setting of church where both men and women are present. Uh, what should be the attitude or what should be the conduct of women. Okay, so in these verses we see uh, who we should pray for and why we should pray. So in verse 4 he says, uh, supplication, prayers, and so on should be made for all men. So we need to pray for all men because uh, everyone could use uh, prayer support. And he speaks about three, four uh, ways of defining prayer. So supplication is simply prayer requests. Uh, that we make, and prayer is, uh, of course, the broad term that we use uh, for a time of communion uh, with God, and intercession is when we are praying for others, and thanksgiving is when we pray uh, with an attitude of gratitude. And he says uh, prayers uh, need to be made for all men, uh, and then he goes on to say in verse 2 uh, that we need to pray for kings and those uh, that are in authority. So for us, uh, obviously we don't have kings, uh, but we have uh, elected uh, officials. Uh, we have the president, the vice president, the governors, the mayors, the Congress and Senate and others uh, who are in position of authority. So Paul is uh, reminding Timothy that it is our duty, uh, it is our responsibility uh, to pray for them. And in Romans uh, chapter 13, uh, we read that the government is ordained by God so in Romans 13, verse 1, it says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. So the government uh, that we have 
uh, is supposed to maintain order uh, in the society. And even when we looked at the book of Deuteronomy, uh, God laid out uh, certain rules and regulations uh, so that there is civic laws when they are followed. Uh, there is order in the society, in the community. In the same way, the government uh, is ordained by God and God's desire is that we should pray for them. Uh, even if we don't agree uh, with their ideologies, uh, we may not belong to that party or whatever it is. But if they are in power, it is our responsibility and it's our duty to pray for them. And if they are departing from faith, uh, if they are departing from the sound principles, then we need to pray with greater burden and we need to pray for change. And we need to pray for them, uh, even if they are cruel and if they are oppressive. And when Paul wrote this letter, uh, Nero was the Roman emperor and uh, he, would, he was hostile uh, towards Christians. But despite that, when Paul is writing the letter, he says that uh, respect and prayers uh, should be given to authorities. And as we read in uh, different passages, uh, persecution uh, could be part of God's plan uh, for believers. And God may be uh, preparing the believers uh, for a bigger task by taking them through a process of persecution. And even in the New Testament, we saw that it is the persecution that led to uh, the church uh, growing and dispersing in different places. And Matthew 5.10 reminds us, uh, blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And he goes on to say why we should pray in verses two to four. Uh, uh, it is in God's will and it is something that is pleasing to God. So it is a commandment uh, given by God. And when we obey God, uh, it is pleasing to him. And we also pray so that the government uh, does not oppose uh, our practice of faith or our lifestyle of godliness. So we want a government that will give us the freedom uh, to practice our faith. And that would be one of the fruit uh, that we can expect uh, from our prayers. And there would also be peace uh, in society. And lastly, in verse 4, it is God's desire that everyone should be saved. Uh, even those uh, that are in authority, they might be saved. So in verse 4, it says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come uh, unto the knowledge uh, of the truth? And we also see in verse 3, uh, it addresses God as a Savior. So oftentimes we generally use uh, Jesus uh, as our Savior. But we know that God is the source who initiates the salvation and Lord Jesus Christ uh, is the son who, who was sacrificed on the cross uh, for our sins, and, and that's why he's our savior. And verse 4, we see that God's desire is that uh, all uh, should be saved, uh, which means uh, it challenges uh, when people say that some people are predestinated and only those people will be saved, or only a few chosen ones. Uh, would be saved. So God's desire is that everyone should be saved. And that is also the message of John 3.16, that God so loved the world that uh, whoever believes on him will receive the gift. So it is not uh, exclusive uh, to a certain group. Uh, it is not exclusive to a small group of people uh, who can receive the gift of salvation. Uh, it is given uh, to all. And in 2 Peter 3, 9, uh, we are reminded that Lord is uh, delaying his return uh, so that more and more people 
uh, may be saved and be part of his kingdom. But we also know from scriptures that gift of salvation uh, is not given at birth. Uh, so just because we are born in a Christian family or if you are born in a certain country or whatever, that we would be blessed with the gift of salvation. A gift of salvation is something uh, that is personal and it is dependent on man also making the decision. Uh, so we must uh, choose uh, to receive the salvation gift uh, by believing in Lord Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross and by confessing our sins. So we read in John 3, 36, uh, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not uh, the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And we also know from Romans 10, 9, 10, that if thou shalt confess uh, with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, uh, thou shalt be saved. So we see that God's desire is that all should be saved, but at the same time, uh, it is up to us uh, to make that uh, conscious uh, decision uh, based on the free will that the Lord has given us. And so even if the gospel is revealed to us, uh, if we choose not to believe or if we reject the gospel, then we will not receive the gift of salvation. And in verse 5, Paul reminds us that there is only one mediator uh, between God and man. Yeah. Okay, so in verses 5 and 6, Paul reminds us that there is only one God and there is only one mediator to God, uh, which is uh, Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what uh, we celebrate at Christmas. That is what we celebrate as the gospel truth, that Lord Jesus Christ uh, came into this world. Uh, he was born in a manger and he offered himself uh, as a sacrifice uh, for our sins. And his sacrifice was accepted because he was sinless. So that was the precious blood uh, that was sacrificed on the cross so that the price could be paid uh, for our redemption and after that sacrifice, uh, there was no need for any more sacrifices. So that was the complete and finished work. And Jesus uh, is the only way to God. Uh, he is the only mediator. So we, do not, we cannot reach God through angels or through Mary or through work, good works. The only way we can approach God, the only way we can connect to God is through Lord Jesus Christ. So even though people in the world may say that uh, all roads or all religions uh, finally lead to God, but that is not the truth. Uh, the truth is there is only one way uh, to the true God, uh, which is uh, Lord Jesus Christ. And the way through Christ is the way of the cross that leads us uh, to God. And Hebrews 9.15 also reminds us, and for this cause, uh, he is the mediator uh, of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption and of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And in verse 7, it's a bit of a detour, but Paul uh, speaks about uh, three titles uh, that are given to him, uh, whereunto I am ordained, a preacher, an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. So preacher is uh, someone who would be the messenger of gospel. And if he's a true pre preacher, then uh, the pre message would be based on sound doctrine. 
And it could also mean uh, inspired messages uh, that are preached by that person. An apostle would have all the qualities of a preacher, but as we see in the life of Paul, uh, he was also a leader and he was also one who was uh, eager to plant churches, uh, eager to plant church congregations. And we also see from Paul's writing that he's also able to give a good counsel uh, to church. Uh, he's able to uh, come up with solutions uh, to problems. He's able to identify problems uh, within the church and come up with wise counsel. And a teacher would be simply one who is able to uh, explain the word of God uh, that is given. And he also says he speaks the truth, uh, which should be the hallmark of every believer. So that is uh, that is a character that Lord expects from all believers, that we should always uh, speak the truth, because when we are not speaking the truth, uh, we are associating ourselves uh, with the devil, because a devil uh, is a father of lies in John 8, 44. So we need to be conscious uh, of the words uh, that we are speaking uh, to make sure that what we are speaking is always the truth. Uh, even if the truth uh, is going to cost us uh, something, uh, we should uh, still uh, speak the truth and believe that God will be on our side and uh, he will protect us from any consequences. And Paul uh, is, we can see, is the messenger of sound doctrine. So he's not making any changes uh, to the doctrine that he has received or the teaching or the revelation that he has received. Uh, he's not adding anything. He's not subtracting anything. He's not compromising. And that is what he expects uh, Timothy uh, when he speaks to the elders. And in Romans 9.1, uh, again, Paul is writing, I say the truth in Christ. Uh, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness. Uh, in the Holy Ghost. 2 Corinthians 11.31, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. So Paul had that confidence that whatever he's writing, uh, whatever he's speaking is the truth. Uh, it is the truth that has been revealed uh, to him uh, through the Spirit. It is the truth that has been passed on to him. And that should be our testimony also, where we can say that uh, I do not lie and I say the truth, uh, especially when it comes to the teachings of the Lord. If we are trying to convey to someone, uh, it should be the full truth. And the next uh, part of the chapter from verse uh, 8 to 15 uh, speaks about the conduct of men and women uh, in a church uh, setting. So we'll go through that. Okay, so this is not a very uh, popular uh, passage uh, in the Bible, but we'll take a look at it the way uh, it is written. And we know that Paul is writing with the authority of the Lord. He's writing as an apostle. So we have to take it the way it is and not try to uh, go too deep uh, into it and get into more confusion. So he starts off by saying uh, the prayers of men. Uh, he says in verse 8, uh, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, uh, without wrath and doubting. So the interpretation here is that men should lead prayers uh, in a mixed setting or in a congregation of men and women. And he speaks about uh, with holy hands. So that could be something cultural where they pray by lifting up holy hands. 
but it could also indicate uh, a person when he's praying in public, uh, he's living a life uh, that is uh, blameless. And he says uh, the prayers uh, should be without doubting or it should be offered in faith and without wrath or strife or anger, or there should be a clear conscience. Uh, there should not be a spirit of anger or spirit of uh, disunity uh, within a congregation uh, when we are offering prayers. And in Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4, it says, Who shall ascend uh, into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? Uh, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn uh, deceitfully. So when we are coming uh, into the presence of the Lord, the Lord is expecting that first uh, we should confess uh, all of our sins and we should set things right uh, before we come into the presence of the Lord. So it doesn't matter whether it is our personal prayer or whether it's our family prayer or in a church uh, setting. Uh, when we are trying to commune with the Lord, uh, the only way we can commune with the Lord is when we are coming with a clean conscience or when we are coming with clean hands and a pure heart. And the scripture reminds us that when we confess our sins, the Lord is more than willing to cleanse us. So it is with that cleansing that we can approach him and with faith and without any guilt in our heart. And in verses uh, 9 and 10, uh, it speaks uh, about the beauty of women and Paul tries to focus that the woman's uh, beauty is in uh, modesty and spirituality. So we can say that the woman, uh, they should not try to uh, impress or draw attention uh, based on how they are dressing. Uh, instead, uh, they should impress uh, with their character, which is of more value, uh, which is more beautiful. So he focuses on godliness and good works, uh, which is of greater value and which is more precious uh, in the sight of God. And if the dress is not proper, or if it is not modest, uh, it could be a reflection of corrupt heart, or it could be a reflection of sinful motives. And if the jewelry or what they're wearing, if that is uh, excessive, then it could be an indication of pride, or it could be a stumbling block to other believers, or it may be uh, challenging for those uh, who do not have similar attire. But at the same time, uh, we need to be cautious so we cannot simply uh, go around judging people based on the externals because uh, the scripture reminds us over and over again that the Lord is always uh, looking at our heart and not at the externals. So uh, it is easy to judge uh, based on what we are seeing uh, but we really cannot see the hearts of people. And that is what the Lord is looking for. So we need to be careful. And even if we are correcting someone, uh, it should always be in the spirit of prayer that we do before we approach someone. And it should always be done uh, in the spirit of love. And in Proverbs uh, 31 and verse 10, it says, who can find a virtuous woman uh, for her price is far above rubies. But at the same time, some times uh, we know that it, if it's a very extreme case, it's very obvious. But in many cases, it might be subtle and it may be hard to make uh, a decision just by 
what we see. But I was looking at this, and we can apply the same uh, principle uh, also to men. Uh, so here it speaks about the beauty of women uh, that is captured in modesty or simplicity and spirituality. And the same thing could also apply to men. Uh, obviously, godliness and good works, uh, is, it is something that is very attractive, uh, not just for women, but also for men. So even if men pursue uh, those two qualities, which is godliness and good works, or modesty and spirituality, uh, that is something that will make them also more beautiful uh, and more attractive. In 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, 2 to 5, Paul picks up on the same theme. And again, he speaks about uh, the beauty of women and speaks about the uh, adorning, uh, speaks about wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. But the focus, he says, should be on the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, uh, which is in the sight of God uh, of great price. In verse 7, uh, Paul writes that, let the women learn in silence uh, with all subjection. So again, Paul is writing to Timothy uh, in terms of what to teach uh, within a church setting. So within a church setting, it would be a mixed uh, congregation of men and women. So here the advice or the counsel is that uh, when the meeting is going on, uh, the women uh, should not shout or they should not disrupt uh, the proceedings uh, with questions and comments and so on. And they need to learn in silence under the appointed authority. So Paul is not saying that uh, we should not ask questions or we should not have any questions in our mind. And we know that uh, it is always good to ask questions. But as we read later in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, that there is a time and a place uh, to ask uh, questions. So in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, 35, it says, uh, let your women keep silence uh, in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, uh, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame uh, for women to speak in church. So again, here the speaking uh, is connected to causing uh, confusion, or causing disruption uh, to something that is going on. And in verse 12, he goes on to say, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. So again, uh, it is the context of a church where you have men and women. So women uh, should not teach men. So that is why uh, in Bethany or in many similar assemblies, uh, we don't see women uh, giving the message or praying uh, the prayers. But at the same time, uh, when we read the scriptures, we see that the women uh, play an important role. Uh, even in the life of Timothy, uh, he was taught by his mother and his grandmother. And we read in Titus that women uh, play an important role uh, in discipling and mentoring uh, younger women. Paul is uh, speaking about silence. He's speaking about subjection. But at the same time, the subjection of women uh, to husbands at home or, at, or to elders at church uh, does not uh, make them inferior or it doesn't make them less uh, intelligent or less talented. We know that uh, many are 
maybe more intelligent and more talented and more gifted in many ways, but it is simply God's uh, divine order. And whether we like it or not, uh, we, we must honor it, we must respect it, and we must follow it. And that is where we would find blessing uh, when we stick to God's plan, when we stick to God's uh, divine order. And when we move away from God's uh, divine order, whether it's in the church or whether it's in our families or whether it's in the country, we know that uh, it leads to much uh, confusion and it leads to much losses. And so we don't know exactly what was happening uh, in that uh, congregation, but Paul is uh, writing to Timothy. So maybe they were departing from some of these values and some of these teachings. And Paul is writing to Timothy so that he can reinforce uh, some of the principles and some of the sound teachings that Paul might have taught them before. But at the same time, uh, when we read the Bible, we see that uh, when we ask the question, can women be leaders uh, in local churches? And so Bible does not say that women cannot be leaders at church. Uh, there are ministries uh, which we find that women can lead. And, but at the same time, they would be under the subjection of elders. So we see that in many churches, uh, in many assemblies, uh, women would have leadership uh, in certain areas. Uh, it could be in Sunday school or it could be in some other areas, but it is always uh, under the subjection of elders. And when we enter the workforce, uh, Bible doesn't say that women cannot be leaders uh, in the outside world. So when Paul is writing to Timothy, uh, he is speaking about uh, a setting in the church or in Ephesians when he talks about the role of women. He is speaking about uh, a setting at home. So uh, he doesn't talk about women being in subjection or not leading in outside world. So we may have many Christian women uh, who might be leaders at work. Uh, they might be even CEOs at work because Bible doesn't prohibit that. And Paul goes on to say in verse 13 and 14, uh, he kind of makes the connection uh, with the book of Genesis, uh, where he says, for Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So uh, Paul is making the connection about the order of creation. It was Adam who was created first. And Eve was created from Adam as a helpmate uh, for Adam. And when sin entered, uh, it was the woman uh, who was uh, deceived uh, first. So when we go to Genesis uh, chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, Unto the woman he said, uh, and it goes on to say, And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So even when we go all the way back to Genesis uh, and we look at the order that God set, uh, he set man as the leader or in that circle of family, uh, he was given the leadership uh, position. And of course, if you are the leader or if you are in authority, uh, it also comes with uh, responsibilities. So that is why when we go to the book of Romans, uh, we see that the responsibility for the first sin uh, is is put on Adam and not on Eve. So Adam was the one who was supposed to maintain that authority or leadership role. So when the sin is committed, uh, he is the one who is held responsible. 
So in Romans 5.12, it says, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. So one man is, of course, referring to Adam. It doesn't say uh, sin entered through Eve. Uh, Adam is given the, yeah, this one, this verse is not very clear, which is verse 15, where it goes on to say, notwithstanding, uh, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So, so obviously, uh, a woman is not saved uh, from sins uh, through childbearing because uh, the, the only way we can be saved, as we saw in verse 5, is through Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can mediate between sinful man and a holy God. So obviously, they're not being saved uh, from their sins uh, when they're bearing children. And also, that won't be uh, practical for women who do not have any children. So one way to see that is that uh, through childbirth, they are recognized or they are restored in some way. And we know that many godly men, they were birthed and they were raised by godly women, uh, including uh, Timothy. And Jesus uh, himself was born of a woman, uh, even though he was born without sin, because uh, Mary was virgin and she conceived uh, through the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to say the qualities uh, that are expected are love, faith, holiness, and self-control. So that's what uh, chapter 2 is about, uh, where it reminds us that uh, we need to pray for those who are in authority over us, so it could be uh, the places that we work, uh, people who are in authority over us. Uh, it is always good to pray for our bosses. Uh, it is good to pray for those who are leading uh, in the church. It is also good to pray for the leaders of the country so that they would make the right decisions and they would give the freedom for us uh, to practice our faith and to maintain our lifestyle of godliness. And the second challenge or the reflection that we have uh, based on what Paul is writing, uh, whether we agree with Paul's writing uh, in terms of the role of men and women in church. And in a sense, uh, it doesn't really matter whether we agree or not. Uh, it is the word of God and we need to agree. So there are many people who may not agree with the gospel, but that doesn't uh, change the gospel. Uh, many people may not agree with the origin of life, but that doesn't change uh, any of the facts that we see in the scriptures. So that's what we see in chapter two, that we need to pray for uh, leaders. And we are given some guidelines on the conduct of women. And again, this might be taken out of context uh, many times, uh, but we need to keep in mind that Paul is uh, writing to Timothy and the intent is that it should be applied uh, within a church setting. And within a church setting, uh, even as we practice, uh, we don't uh, allow sisters to preach. So that would be consistent with what Paul is saying. And those in authority or leadership tend to be men.